Okay, so I also welcome everyone to the conversation. It's Outspoken Opinionated. Of course, I am your host, Edwin Maya. Today, it's a really important topic. Um, it's something that's dear to my heart. Um, I love to be transparent on this show. I love to be transparent in every platform that I'm a part of. Um, two years ago, I was diagnosed um, as manic depressant. And so um, I remember the stigma. I remember how I felt when I was first told that. Um, I remember I had a good friend who's a uh, um, um, psych nurse. And she basically told me, you need to go see someone. And so I appreciate therapy. I appreciate um, Celebrate Recovery because those are different tools that I use to help me through my uh, mental health issue. Uh, but just looking at context, if you guys are sitting here, we are all in America, we're around the world, COVID-19 has happened. And what I've realized is that there's a group of there's a group of people, there is a set of population that people have forgotten about. And I think it's a population that has mental health. And I think we're not understanding how COVID-19 has affected this population. And so um, if you guys have realized, um, there are there have been a lot of things going around with people, you know, doing different things that normally they won't do. And so for me, most often what I do, I just liberate it to mental health. But um, just to give you some inf background information, um, once COVID-19 started, um, the Census Bureau decided to send out a survey questionnaire. And they sent it to 1.2 million homes. And from that survey questionnaire, they realized that 60% of Americans fell short, some sort of anxiety, 53% of them stopped, started worrying, and then 48% was depressed based on COVID-19. Because if you remember, people lost their jobs, their relationship that was strong because there are people who, um, you know, just life, life in itself happened. And so not being the SME, meaning the subject matter expert of such topic, I decided to get someone and who better than um, Vanessa Adebayo, someone who I've, in the short time I have followed her, I've grown to respect her, uh, watching her on the Pan-African uh, platform where she was speaking about mental health. And I was like, oh my God, I need to get this girl to come and speak. I need to get, get this girl to my show because I know that there are people out there who really don't understand the implications around mental health. And I think us in our community, which is the black community, or the African-American community, um, African community, Black community, whatever community it is, we really don't talk about mental health. And I think that's an issue in our community. So I have, I'm going to bring into the show Vanessa Adebayo, who also runs a, a nonprofit organization, which is called um, Africa Health Matters. And so she will tell us about Africa Health Matters. She'll tell us about herself, what she's doing in the community, and just tools for us to understand what mental health is all about. Because I think we really don't take it serious as it is. And so I think um, as parents, as siblings, or whoever it is, for you to just be able to cope around these individuals, so even understand them. So without further ado, I'm going to bring Vanessa into the live, and then we will go from there. So Vanessa, you're welcome to the conversation. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Um, I'm happy that you're here. I'm so glad that you, you know, accepted the invitation from the beginning. You were, I mean, you were ready to go, and I really appreciate that. But like I said, you know, this platform is kind of informal, so we do our thing over here. We got people who were sending questions, like I said earlier, and then you know, we just go from there. But really, I want to know. Who is Vanessa? Who are you? <laughs> Who am I? That's a good question. If I don't know by now, 
I think there's a problem, right? Because COVID-19 yeah. has, I think, I really loved how you opened up the show. You talked a lot about COVID-19 and its effect on people, especially with their mental health. And I think um, a good thing about COVID-19 is it gave us an opportunity to kind of stand still and uh, be in isolation in a sense, but really have time to reflect on um, life in general and, and who we are. Um, so me, I'm a global public health professional. I'm very passionate about public health as a whole, um, really more so um, focused on health equity and making sure that regardless of your socioeconomic status or geographical location, you're able to access the proper health resources and knowledge that you need. Um, I've had a very diverse, diverse experiences that have kind of um, drawn me back, I guess, to the African continent and have made me um, really just have like a deeper um, passion for just seeing the development of Africa as a whole. And, you know, getting into this space has allowed me to then um, focus on mental health through my um, my master's program and being able to do a one-year accelerated program that allowed me to study abroad in D.C., Accra, Ghana, and Abu Dhabi. Um, and so, yeah, with the lot of experiences that I've had, I've been able to kind of um, segue into this space. And for the last three to four years, we as an organization have been championing um, mental health as a priority, and especially amongst the African community, um, both on the continent and in the African diaspora. And so I'm really excited to be here today. Um, you know, for me, I I don't think of any, you know, anything special, but for you to have me and allow me to be on your platform, I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to the conversation. And this is great. And because it leads us right into the right segment. So uh, my next question to you is, what brought up the intent with mental health? Yeah, that's a good question. People ask me all the time, but like, why mental health? Like, what, what got you into this space to begin with? And um, looking back three, four years ago, I actually would have never imagined myself being in this space or even being a mental health advocate. But um, like I said, I did have the opportunity to study abroad with the New York University while I was pursuing my master's. And during my study experience in Accra, Ghana specifically, um, I was really able to understand mental health in a different capacity because um, here I was at the University of Ghana taking a social behavioral class and learning about psychology. And, you know, I had a, a, a Ghanaian born and raised professor who was also a psychologist explain um, the importance of mental health, but really also speak to his own experience being an African man and battling with depression due to a major breakup. And I thought that was very vulnerable because never in my life had I seen a man um, really share his emotion or share um, you know, the downfall of his vulnerability. And so um, seeing and hearing his experience or hearing about his experience really encouraged me to really enjoy the class. And then I think a step forward was actually being able to go to a local psych hospital and see, um, get a, a visual picture of what the mental health care delivery system looked like. And just by being in that environment, I know um, not for only me, but for my classmates, it was life changing. You know, just to witness um, the environment in which some of these patients were living in, to be able to see 
the lack of resources, to be able to see the stigma surrounding mental health. I mean, I always tell people this story every interview, and you know, I, I always say that like we came in contact with a 70-year-old woman who was in the geriatric ward, and she just started profusely crying when she saw my classmates and I. We were kind of confused, you know, we trying to figure out why she was crying, but you know, she started speaking in her native language, which was street, and she was saying that, you know, what did she do to deserve us coming to visit her? Um, and just to give some context, in the last in the 20 years that she had been there, not a family friend, um, family, you know, church member, no one had come to visit her, you know? And so that to me moved me because it just showed like just our simple presence, just the simple fact that someone cared about her and cared about her well-being. I mean, that to me broke my heart. And I think from there, um, just seeing what, just seeing that this place wasn't a place that breeded any healthy, you know, any any healthy outcome, I just knew that this was a larger or bigger issue that I wanted to address. And so I ended up focusing my master's thesis on the effectiveness of social marketing campaigns to improve attitudes and behaviors towards mental illness um, or just mental health in general amongst young adults on the continent of Africa. And yeah, the rest is history. I mean, my master's thesis really is what drove me to be in this space. My master's thesis and my experience is what really drove me to want to even start Africa's Mental Health Matters. And that's amazing because um, like I said, my story from the beginning of the show where I was diagnosed with um, being manic depressant and I it was just a major life changing for me. And I was extremely depressed. I couldn't sleep. Like I have gone two, three days where I did not sleep. And I remember going and I was driving on the beltway and this person cut me off. And when that lady cut me off, I broke down and started crying. Like I cried like my mom died. And I remember why having this panic attack, my friend called me and she's like, are you okay? What's going on? And I just like, I don't know. Like that, I've driven all these years. People have cut me over my head this. And she said, what's going on? And I literally had to tell her what was happening to me. And good thing was my friend is a psych nurse. So she's like, wherever you at, you need to go somewhere. You need to go somewhere. You need to talk to somebody. And I remember going into therapy where I thought, you know, coming originally coming from Africa, we don't go to therapy. Okay. Then I'm a black man. Like, we don't go to therapy. And I remember just being able to talk my issues out. And I didn't get to take them. I was prescribed certain medications, but I didn't take it because my friend told me, don't take it. She said, and that's not for anybody who's watching. If you're watching or you watch this again, if you're, you, you know, your doctors and all these people tell you these things, you have to do it. But for me, people around this, my support system was greater than anything else. So I had a great support system. And so they literally helped me. My therapist helped me. I had a great friend who was a dentist who was also, uh, I mean, everybody was there for me. And I was able to get through that process and be able to become whole like as I am right now. But I think the stigma and coming from, I, like I said, I was born and raised in Liberia. And I remember seeing people in my neighborhood who had mental issues and everybody would call them all the person crazy. And I feel it's like, okay, there are a lot of different disorders in mental health that doesn't lead to insanity. And I think we call everybody crazy. So if you can, can we just talk about this stigma, the stigma that affects people with mental health? Yeah, I think I think that's very important. Um, 
you know, doing my master's thesis, I did a lot of research. And, you know, you'd actually be very surprised that a lot of time with patients or not patients, with people who are dealing um, with a mental illness, um, the preconceived stigma is so much more greater than the stigma that they're actually receiving. So it studies show that people who are dealing with a mental illness actually have, they feel that people are, you know, they have already preconceived a mindset that people already have their mind made up about them even before they even encounter stigma as a whole. So I think it's, it's, it's big because automatically when someone, it then says to me, that automatically when someone is diagnosed or someone is dealing with something, they are ready. The first thing that they're thinking about is what is this person going to think about me? What is my family going to think about me? What is my job going to think about me? How are people going to receive that I'm dealing with A, B, C, D, E? And and so first and foremost, let's all like bring it down a notch. We all have mental health, right? People are like, oh yes, um, you know, because she she has a men- and mental health problems. No. We all have mental health. And I think, thank God once again for COVID. COVID has done a lot of, you know, has done a lot of bad, but it's also done a lot of good because I see people are finally starting to understand that you can grieve just by losing a job. You can grieve yeah. by just losing, um, you know, a, a pat, your, your, your day-to-day routine. You can grieve by not being able to see certain friends or family as often as you used to. People are now understanding that mental health is affected. Our mental health is affected in everyone. At some point in time, everyone's mental health is affected, whether it's through your experiences or you know the things that you've gone through or the people that you're interacting with. Our mental health is constantly always changing. And so, as far as stigma goes, um, I think you know it's very big barrier to people seeking mental health treatment. I know that you know a lot of times out of fear, um, people will not go. A therapist. People will not go see a psychotherapist or, um, you know, seek counsel. And I'm like, thank God for your example that you have that support system in your situation where you could call someone and confide in them about what you were going through. But a lot of times that that may not be the case. And um, I think it's it's this thing where, like, especially when you're talking about in the African context, if they see you in a certain area, ah, that person is mad. You know, I mean, I know in Nigeria, for example, this past um, December, we had our last conference there. And, you know, Yaba Hospital is one of the main government hospitals that they, you know, uh, address um, Mm. mental mental illnesses. And um, I know that, you know, people call it Yaba left because they make it seem like, oh, if you're going to Yaba, uh, you're gone left. You're gone mad. You're crazy. You know what I mean? And no, it's horrible. Like, we laugh now, but you can imagine someone just walking or being in, in that vicinity, and automatically people are labeling this person as someone that is not sane, quote unquote. Um, I think once again, the conversation is getting better. Like, when I have conversations like this, I don't want to focus on the stigma because I do think that okay. with all of the advocacy going around with all of the support groups, with all of the um, campaigns, with all of the newfound awareness, people are starting to understand that mental health can be addressed, right? And um, that's in any capacity. It doesn't have to be a flow-bone mental illness. It could just be you feeling simply sad, you know, by just experiencing something. It could be you feeling down about, you know, interacting with someone or 
receiving some type of information, but it's becoming more of a conversation. And I think the more that we talk about it, the more we have conversations like this, the more that we um, are feel free to talk about mental health, the less stigma that people will receive um, by seeking the proper mental health care that they need. And so uh, moving on, I like how you place that, but you know, um, looking when people are starting conversations, so um, how should people who aren't, what else? I won't say equipped, but there are individuals who, there are certain things they're not going to talk about. My daughter, if my child is schizophrenic <laughs> or my child has some sort of depression, we're not going to have that conversation. And so how can folks who have these people in their midst, like family member, cousin, deal with that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, a lot of the time it's, okay, we talk about, you know, people opening up and addressing mental health um, or addressing maybe whatever they're dealing with, but it's like, okay, then who am I addressing it to, right? Who is my support system? What does my support system look like? If I can't even break down in front of a family member and cry, how much more am I going to be able to tell them what I'm internally battling or dealing with? Um, and so I think it's important that we create safe spaces for people. Um, and when I mean safe spaces, I mean being open to leading people to the maybe the, the right resources, um, being open to just having a listening ear, being open to receiving someone, even if they're not necessarily telling you what exactly is wrong. Because I think building a safe space doesn't happen overnight. It happens gradually. So if I'm a if I'm your daughter and I'm experiencing signs of depression and I don't know what that is, and I feel that maybe in the past, you know, you've burned bridges where I don't feel like I can trust you. If then something switches and one day I feel, you know, we're in the same space and you ask me, how are you? Right? And not just, oh, how are you? But really, how are you? How is your mental health? What are what are you what are you thinking about right now? Right? Like what are some of the things that are bothering you? I'm gonna look at you like dad, wow, like what's yeah. going on? Right. And I may not even respond to you at that time. I may not even feel the need to go into details, but that to me, I think is the beginning step to creating quote unquote a safe space for a relationship to grow. Because the more you step out of your comfort zone, the more that you create a space where I feel like I can be vulnerable, the more that we are able to establish something. Now, sometimes it doesn't get to that point. Maybe because of generational experiences as a parent, you can't get there. Maybe you can't ask me how you how I am. Maybe you can't be you know open to me being vulnerable. But what you can do is be open to allowing people to receive the help that they need. So. I think you know it's important for us to be aware of the resources available to us, whether that be a support group, whether that be a, a local therapist, whether that be a counselor, whatever that looks like, whatever you feel um, could help the person you love, whether it's your daughter, your friend, your cousin, whoever, I think it's important that you be resourceful and have um, some type of inkling about what that person can use to gain support. And if you don't know, then it's okay to research. It's okay to ask a friend. It's okay to, you know, call your local um, organization and find out what resources are available. I think it's time that we be um, 
that we stop, you know, blaming, oh, I don't know, you know, yeah. no, the information's out there. Yeah, Go find it and be the help that you be that person's, you know, support system regardless. You know what I mean? So yeah, those are some of the things that I feel that we can do. And and I will say, I know for me, like I I will always use myself as an example because I think um I know me. And this is what I do. I remember, you know, when I have a couple of friends who, you know, lost a lost a pregnancy or, you know, um, um, lost a parent. Like I had somebody who was really close to me who lost a parent recently. And I remember when I call him, I know, how are you doing? No, us guys like, oh, I'm cool. And I'm just do, do, do. And I let him have his way. And when he was in, I was like, dude, how are you? What's going on? And I could feel the pause. Like he paused a little bit and then he became real. And then he started to tell me like, I'm going through this. This is something. And he's rest. And I feel it's like a lot of times when we ask for what's up, they're like, oh, I'm cool. No. How are you doing? Yeah. Like, especially in this COVID time. Well, a lot of things are happening. People are losing their jobs. Their relationships are messing up. Um, I mean, it's just crazy. And so it's like good for you to ask somebody, how are they doing? Like, what's going on with you? And I'm not afraid to ask that question. My friends know me, people who are closer, they're like, oh, Lord, you better go deep. I'm like, I'm not going deep. Because sometimes it's like you have something on your chest or you have something that you really want to talk about, but you need somebody to poke you a little bit so you can speak on it. And so going back to Africa, which is where people rarely talk about these conversations. And I remember as a child, I will always say this, my mom, I always saw this story. My mom had a friend and I strongly believe that boy was schizophrenic. He had some sort of stuff like that. He will, you know, and he will walk. When I say walk, he doesn't get in a car. He literally walk from his house to town and walk back. And he was a little off. And I remember having a conversation with my mom. They're like, oh, you got big mouth. And I'm like, no, I don't. It's like, what's going on? What are they doing? And it's like, nobody could have that conversation with this woman. With my, I'm like, why you guys don't talk to her? Like, why can't we do this? Like, why can't you guys do this? And so I want to ask you for someone who have gone to Africa, who have tried this in Africa, what has been your experience dealing with people when it comes to mental health in Africa? Um, that's another good question. I think, um, you know, so far so good, right? Like, granted, you know, we we we. I have to be honest in, in terms of the, the audience in which receives us, and the, the audience in which in which receives us majority of them are young adults, right? From ages 18 and onward, maybe to like 35. And, you know, in recent conference in Nigeria, we did get a lot of parents that, you know, um, showed up in support and actually had maybe issues with their child that they kind of wanted to address um, and see if, you know, they could get the proper resources that they need in order to do that. Um, but in general, you know, I think, Young people are tired. They're tired of putting up a front. They're tired of um, not being able to be themselves. They're tired of not being able to just freely speak. So we're living in a generation where, and I'm sure you know this just as much as I do, if things aren't going right, 
people are posting on Instagram, they're yeah, writing, yeah. you know, long statuses, they're tweeting, they're, you know, they're doing what they got to do to get their opinion out there, even if nobody cares, right? Um, and so I, I think that we're living in a society now where people are, are responsive to it. Now, as far as you're concerned with a similar story, <laughs> excuse me, that you just mentioned about, you know, the young woman not being, you know, not really feeling comfortable to talk to a young woman about her son. Yeah, definitely. I think that still exists. I mean, getting someone to be vulnerable about the, the health of their child is hard. This is my baby. This is my, you know, my everything. You put all your hopes and dreams in your child thinking that they're going to reach um, a certain level of excellence that you've already kind of prescribed. And then when they fall short or when they're dealing with things that you may not have the proper knowledge about as a parent, it becomes a, a very vulnerable place for you to be in. Now, I do think that, you know, it's harder to engage with people who um, haven't come to terms with whatever their child is dealing with. Um, but I think with the proper knowledge, when they can label it, whatever, whether it's schizophrenia, whether it's depression, whether it's bipolar disorder, they're able to then kind of move forward and walk in that, you know, walk in that confidence that this is what my child has and we're, we're dealing with it, right? But when you put things under the carpet, which is what a lot of Africans do, and then not address it, you're making the situation worse. And you're also not giving an opportunity for that person to be able to seek the proper, proper um, help that they need, you know? So I think it's 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 very telling um, in different situations depending on who we're talking to or who we're dealing with. But um, in general, I think Africans our biggest issues are pride. We don't want to seem weak. We don't want to seem like we have problems. But the reality of the situation is that we all have issues, right? We all have challenges. We all have problems. Um, and I think the more that we're able to be honest with ourselves and be honest with other people, the more um, the more better that we'll end up at the end of the day because it'll give us an opportunity to really take on our challenges head on and get the help that we need, you know what I mean, to, to live better and healthier lives. So I'm going to switch a little bit. So I'm going to ask you this question. Um, your organization could have been called America, any country you choose, Nigeria, but you decided to call it Africa Health Matters. Mm -hmm. And you know, in this time where we're all talking about Black Lives Matters and all these things going on, why did you guys settle on Africa Health Matters? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, initially, you know, this is probably the first time I'm actually going to say this, but initially I put together. Um, a proposal that said Ghana's mental health matters, right? Because Ghana was where I love Ghana's Nigerian Independence Day. We have the best show. So I do love Nigerians. So my best friend, one of my best friends are from Nigeria, and he literally think like anyway, I'm not gonna go there because then you're gonna do that whole Nigerian thing. Yeah, you, you know, I it's Nigerian independence, so we can't even go there. You know, Continue, continue. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, initially I wanted to do Goddess Mental Health Matters because I was, you know, my master's thesis really focused 
on Ghana in particular. And um, it, it, you know, seemed like it was the right thing to do. If I focused my master's thesis on Ghana, if I had experience working and implementing this in Ghana, um, then this, it just seemed like the logical thing to do to say Ghana's mental health matters. However, um, you know, I had a friend at that time that told me like, no, why don't you expand this and make it Africa's mental health? And I was like, um, that's a good, that's a good, that's great feedback because at the time I was being, I was thinking so limited, you know what I mean? I, I didn't yeah. think that I had the ability to address such a large issue um, on, on a whole continent, you know, but it was probably one of the best decisions that I made to call it Africa's mental health because not only are we focusing on the continent of Africa, but we're also able to focus on the African diaspora. And um, I think it, it, it brings so much knowledge, like in terms of bridging the gap between the African diaspora and Africa, because, you know, a lot of times we only know the main countries like Nigeria, Ghana, Liberia, you know, whatever. But there's Africa's huge, right? There's so many countries. And I think um, just to be able to have the opportunity to address such a, a, an important issue um, and on a large scale, it's, it's, it's overwhelming, but I think in the grand scheme of things, it can do so much, so much good. And I think it makes, it makes a powerful statement that regardless of where you're from, whether you're from Nigeria, from Ghana, from Liberia, from Senegal, we are a one, right? And we, our mental health does matter regardless of where you are, so. Yeah, and so um, last, no, two years ago, I, normally I go to Liberia every year because my parents live there. And so I was there a couple of, I've been there a couple of years ago and I've seen this group of people. But this particular year that I went, I went to this area where they have this group of people in Liberia, we call them Zoko. And these are individuals who are substance abuse uh, abusers. And so they, of course, they sell drugs or they are on drugs or whatever it is they're there. And it's a group of people that you can tell the mental health dysfunction. You can see it, you can smell it, it's like in your face. And so I realized that you guys do focus on youth mental health. And that group of people, I don't think, the group that I saw, I don't think anybody was at least 35. They were from the ages of 12 to probably maybe 20, maybe 27, 28. Wow. And so I see you guys focus on youth. So why was that an area that you got, that you and your organization uh, decided to get close to? Yeah, that's another good question. I think initially, um, in terms of just coming from a public health perspective, I was thinking about health behavior change. Yeah. And I thought, okay, if we look at this from a health behavior change perspective, it is so much easier to get a young adult to change their habits than it is to get 45 or 50 year old um, to change their preconceived mindset. You know, when I'm um, 40 or 50, I'm kind of set in my ways. I've had experiences through life. I've dealt with things that have made me um, really understand and think about things um, a little differently. And I felt, you know, to engage young adults in a social marketing campaign would be a lot more easier. You know, we're more, we're the highest, you know, users on social media. We're the ones that are, you know, listening to music. We're the ones that interact with, you know, social influencers. We're the ones that will attend a conference, you know. 
depending on what it has to offer. So I just thought, okay, you know, this population, um, their population we can work with, their population that we can target, their population that will receive what it is that we're um, putting out there. But as we've expanded as an organization, uh, we've actually expanded our scope as well. And so going into 2021, um, we'll be targeting women who have been sexually and physically abused. We will be um, we will be focusing on inmates who are in the process of you know rehabilitation or getting out into um, you know the free world. Um, we will be also focusing on students. Uh, we'll be focusing on young professionals. We'll be focusing on uh, men. You know, so they're, they're, we're, we're targeting people and then also understanding that, you know, going into the community and really having the opportunity to give people, meet people where they are. I think a lot of times people think, okay, in order to address mental health, I have to be in a therapist's office or I have to, um, you know, be going to a psych hospital. But I think the power, uh, especially on the continent, will be us bringing um, mental health care delivery to them. And when I mean mental health care delivery to them, I mean making sure that we're localizing um, the efforts of mental health awareness by training barbers, by training market, you know, people in the marketplace, um, by training hair, um, hairstylists to be able to essentially counsel people um, and, and have the ability to understand um, when someone is going through a mental health crisis. So. Um, training people to understand the importance of mental health and be able to, you know, at least have the basic knowledge to address mental health in any capacity, I think really also changes um, the scope in which we're able to, to help people. Amazing. And so um, I had the opportunity to be on a platform a couple of days ago. That was related to substance abuse because you know the op the opioid um, thing in you know crazy, and so you being in public health, I'm also in public health. I was with the double AMC and we had to watch Sixteen and Recovery. It's an actual TV show on MTV that talks about kids who are teenagers who are basically addicts. And so they walked through their lives. They talked about it. So it's, I think it's like a four or six series show on um, MTV. And we had to talk about it on this platform. And so one of the things that really, really got me was growing up as a young kid, I never understood mental health connection with drug addiction. Yeah. I never did that. And so I don't know if that's something that you can talk about because I think a lot of us in a lot of people in Africa, that's what it is. Those group of kids that are gathered, those kids in the market who are doing crazy, who people call crazy and stuff like that. It's their addiction to drugs that has messed with their brain, that has led them to this path of mental health that we can't connect. So I don't know if there's some sort of correlation or something you can talk about, but I just want to put it out there. Yeah, I think that's really important. I personally, in terms of um, the connection, I'm not. I'm not a, 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 a professional. So I don't want to. Yeah. No, but what I, what what I've seen though from you know just my work and just my understanding is that it may even be that someone is diagnosed with something. So I think everyone has. Some people have triggers, right? Yeah. And so essentially, when certain things happen, when 
life presents itself in a different shape or form that you're not familiar with or you're not able to um, really cope with. And maybe be that that triggers you into dealing with a mental illness, right? Whether that's depression, whether that's bipolar um, disorder, whether that's anxiety, whatever that looks like for you, or whatever that trigger does to you. I mean, well, you know, it'll present itself in a, in, a, in a mental illness. And that's just with some people. And I know that sometimes dealing with that then turns people to drugs, to overuse drugs. And really, I think in response to dealing with whatever they're they're going through. So it could be that, you know, God forbid, I lost my mom. And now I've kind of, that has triggered me to go through some type of anxiety and depression. And then in that, going through the anxiety and depression, I then turn to drugs to make me feel better. You get what I'm saying? So yeah. it, I feel like sometimes it's a domino effect, or it can also be similar to what you're saying. Maybe by being peer pressured or by being by social influences or by cultural influences, I I, 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 I kind of come into you know dealing with marijuana. And maybe marijuana doesn't affect you the way it affects me. And my overuse of marijuana affects my brain in a way that doesn't affect your brain. And in, in response to that, I end up showing signs of, of, of depression mixed with schizophrenia or something. So the big takeaway here is this. We're all very different. The way I function is not the way you function. And I think we all have to understand that um, life will affect us. The things that the choices that we make will all affect us very differently. So from what my understanding is, is that um, it could be genetic. It could be that, you know, uh, there could be an imbalance somewhere in terms of, you know, different different chemicals. There could be a, a already a present Ill, mental illness that's already present and then in return, you know, you're not willing to deal with it. Going back to putting things into the carpet, you're willing to, you're not willing to deal with it so that you turn to drugs and, you know, abusing alcohol or whatever the case may be. It could, there's so many different scenarios that could happen. But I think ultimately when you mix whatever you're dealing with or just in general, whenever you consume any type of drug, you are now susceptible to so much more um, bad health outcomes or negative, negative health outcomes. And I think it's very important that um, as Africans, we don't put, we don't, we don't dismiss certain things. I know, like especially in you know African culture, especially in the music industry, it's not frowned upon to smoke. It's not frowned upon to heavily drink. But these are things that are affecting our bodies. These are things that are affecting our mind. And I think um, that very same blunt that you see maybe Burna Boy smoking or whatever. And you then decide to kind of go and do the same thing could, genu could genuinely change your trajectory of your life just like that. Um, and so we have to understand and educate ourselves on the importance of practicing healthy behaviors um, and understanding that these things that we do, uh, whether it's recreational, whether it's to release stress, whether whatever the, the reason is, it can definitely um, affect us mentally and physically. Yeah. Um, at any time, so I hope that I hope that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, right? yeah. it makes it make great sense because I think the issue is, um, and normally we forget to, we don't know who. Like when I ask the question, "Who are you?" 
is a question where it's like you really can define who you are. And when it's coming to substance abuse or when it's coming to drinking, whatever people do, a lot of people don't know the limit. They don't know what is it that they can do and what is it that they cannot do. So when you reach a place in your life where you know who you are, you know there are certain things that you cannot do. Yeah, I personally know there are certain things I'm messing with. Mm -hmm. um, there are certain things where there are people who they tried when they were young or they did whatever they want to do and it messed you up. And you'll be like, okay, you need to stay away from it because that's not going to work for you. Because what I have learned um, is there as teenagers or whatever it is, there is a part of your brain decision-making that has not developed yet. Yeah. It takes a gradual process to get developed. So you have these kids who are 12, 13 years old who are taking math. I mean, you some child say he was nine years old when he first start, when he started taking uh, um, methamphetamine. So you got meth, and then he said when he take meth, that means he needs to snort coke, and when he snort coke, that means he needs to take heroin, and when he taking heroin, he needs to do LSD, and when taking LSD, he needs to take some pills. So, you know, at 12 years old, you know, miss makes all that stuff in your system. Your brain don't even know what's what it's supposed to do. And I will tell you, I went to a fairly all white university and I was invited to a party and they called it a pharmaceutical party. And at that party, everybody is supposed to bring whatever in the cabinet. You put it in a bowl. They shake it, and you take what you want to take. And whoever invited me to that party, I was like, what? <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Apparently, you don't know what part of the world I'm from. So let's have this conversation. We don't do that. Like, I'm not doing that. But that's the norm. So you have these kids who go to these parties or go to these events where you're mixing all that stuff. There is Zoloft, there is Xanax, there is this, there is that. There are all kinds of pills. There are pills, and we know all these pills in this country or around the world have side effects. You take something that doesn't work with your body, you go another way. So I think uh, that's where I was able to connect mental health when it comes to drug addiction, mental health, and all that kind of stuff it is. But then I also want to ask about, I want to ask you, as parents, as people who are, you know, parents or guardians or brothers and sisters, how can we act appropriately to our family members or friends who have been diagnosed and they are labeled as schizophrenic, they're depressed, all that stuff? How are we supposed? How is it appropriate that we should act to these people? Um, with compassion, with love, with understanding. That's what I. That's that's what I preach when I talk to people. There's no best way to be there for someone you know what i mean at the end of the day people respond very differently once again what i'm realizing is that people are very different what i may find comforting may not be what someone else finds very comforting but i think as a standard showing love showing compassion showing understanding these are three things that i feel like really help people um understand that the support is there Right. Um, and ultimately, you know, not worrying about what other people think. You know, I think like once again, we've we've really put ourselves in such a position, not only in the African community, but in the black community as well, 
where we care too much about what other people have to say. We care about what society has to say. We care about what church folks got to say. We, we care about what our friends and family have to say. Ultimately, like I said, when you're able to label what it is that your family, friends, your, you know, your brother, your sister, whoever is, whatever they're going through, when you're able to label that and understand that as a family unit, you are going to deal with the, whatever diagnosis this person has received, there's a certain level of confidence that allows you to be able to deal with it and and understand that this is what is a, this is what you life has presented you. But regardless of anything, you're standing firm and you're standing there for your family member. Um, whether that means you know you dealing with them and making sure that you take them to therapy every week. Whether that means you making sure that they're taking the right medication. Whether that means you you know, um, making sure that you're there when they do have, you know, a fallout or, you know, or, you know, uh, an episode, whatever that looks like for you, just understanding that this is a journey that you've decided to be a part of, um, knowing that you're going to love this person unconditionally, knowing that you're going to support this person unconditionally, making sure that you're going to love this person unconditionally, um, and, and showing compassion and understanding that um, although you may not understand it, although your neighbor may not understand it, although your family and friends may not understand it. Once again, this is the reality of what you're dealing with, and you choose to understand it and understand that person um, for what it is that they're going through. Thank you. Another thing I ask you really for you to go into depth about your organization and currently what are you guys are doing in Africa or around the world? What are you guys currently doing right now that people who are watching or who will watch later can join? Like, how can they be a part of this? That's a good question. I mean, for the last six months, we've been under reconstruction. Um, you know, at first it was just annual conferences in a different African country, which don't get me wrong, is stressful enough. But I realized, or we realized that um, in terms of health behavior change and really, and really being able to make an impact, um, it, it requires us to do more work on the ground um, throughout the year. And so in the last couple of months, we've been able to implement country teams in Rwanda, Nigeria, and Ghana. Um, and they have great leaders. We have our country ambassadors who lead each country. And um, they have teams in which, you know, they focus on social, our social enterprise, our community engagement, and our social marketing campaign. Um, it looks very different now as far as how what were our strategies in which that in which we are engaging people. But um, through our social media engagement, I mean, through our social marketing campaign, we're able to use social media, social media as a tool to be able to bring awareness to mental health and also bridge um, the gap between or bridge the gap by allowing people to understand the proper resources available to them. So, you know, through podcasts like this, through podcasts that we're actually going to be starting soon, um, through our, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited about that, um, through our Instagram page, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, these are all ways that we're able to, you know, kind of put the, get our message out there. And then, of course, through our newsletter as well that we recently started. Um, now, through our, through our social enterprise, we're able to kind of fuel, um, income or finding you know find finances or resources back into the organization but also um, provide resources so we have our t-shirts and our apparel that we're building right now we have a t-shirt that you know anyone can purchase online on our website but 
um, you know, we want to continue to build upon that and offer a variety of other um, items that people can purchase. We also have a mental well-being program or corporate mm -hmm. mental well-being program that we'll be implementing shortly uh, with different organizations within the African continent in order to aid in their employees' productivity and performance in the workplace. Um, we want to make sure that employees are, our employers are responsible for maintaining um, a, a safe space, a psychology, a psychological safe space for um, their employees to be able to come to work and understand that they have the proper resources available to them okay. to, to prioritize their mental health. Um, you know, in addition to that, we also will be implementing um, a service learning trip where we're going to be bridging the gap between Africa and the diaspora, mm -hmm. where we'll be offering a trip, a mental health experience to for people who are abroad, um, whether they're doctoral students or young professionals that really want to understand Africa as a whole, but also get to understand what mental health, um, the state of mental health looks like on the continent. And so we'll be providing, um, you know, trips throughout the year next year um, for people who are interested in that. And then also, um, okay. were you going to say something? I'm interested. Oh, you're interested. Yay. <laughs> so we can put you down on the list. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to hold you to that. Yes. So. Yeah, I mean, there's so much going on. I mean, I could go on and on and on. I mean, through our community engagement, like I said earlier, we are definitely in, in um, you know, broadening our, our scope by reaching out to um, young professionals, similar to the Pan-African Leadership Conference, you were able to attend by us, um, students in universities and in high schools, um, being able to, like I said, engage women who have been physically or sexually abused, um, being able to engage inmates. So these are all things that um, we're, we're still building upon. Um, we are quite young, but I think with the right people and the right volunteers on the ground, um, we really can make a difference. And of course, as far as anyone in the diaspora that may be listening to this, listening to this we will be building our diaspora team towards the end of this year. Um, we actually will be sending out um, a call for volunteers very soon. For anyone in the diaspora that would like to use their platform, their resources, their network to bring mental health awareness to their communities through our platform. So, um, you know, there's always a way to be involved. Ultimately, in order to do the work we need, we, we need funding, we need money. Mm -hmm. So that's always a thing. Um, and then we also need to support. and. Thank you, like for example, just having you have me on your platform this evening, that means a lot to us because we never know who can stumble upon this um, podcast or this conversation and really get a better understanding of what we're trying to do and achieve. So I see you guys are having um, your 2020 um, conference is the Montreal Conference in Rwanda. Yeah, virtual conference. Can you just tell us what it's going to be? What should we expect? And we got a lot planned for y'all. We got a lot planned for y'all. Okay. Do not want to miss it. Uh, we've been working really hard. We have a team in Rwanda that's been working tirelessly towards this year's conference. We have guest speakers. We have musical performances. We have a panel discussion. We have some group therapy breakout sessions. Um, we, have, we have a lot of gifts and prizes lined up. Um, and we have a lot of short films. We have some short films that we'll be showing um, featuring our current committee in Rwanda, um, talking about the state of Kigali, Rwanda, but also talking about um, the way that mental health has affected 
their country. Um, unfortunately, you know, every year, for, for, I mean, unfortunately, this year we're not going to be able to be in Rwanda. Every year we, we end up going to countries, and, you know, this year we plan to be present at the, you know, Kigali Convention Center, and we had it all planned out, but due to COVID, the trajectory of things did change. However, I really do believe that this year's conference is going to be powerful because we can ultimately expand our reach. Um, for people who wouldn't have been able to be there in person now, you can tune in from your home wherever you are. And we're really expecting that this will be a really great conference that brings a change, but ultimately impacts the lives of people to prioritize their mental health and create a mental health culture. So where can people go to register for this conference? In our bio, we have set up a link tree in our um, AMH Matters bio. We'll also be doing, we'll also be connecting the link to our website. Right now, disclaimer, our website's actually down. It's not gonna be up until tomorrow. Um, for some reason, I think first it's going through something, but regardless, um, by tomorrow, we should have the Eventbrite um, link available to people on our website on our social all our social media platforms and yeah okay great so i would say thank you for coming here thank you thank for you. all this information i think it was great people really really enjoy this um i'm already getting text messages from people who are saying glad someone is talking about dealing and helping with mental health in africa i'm getting messages coming in someone just sent a comment um, someone is interested in volunteering. Yes, so, we're always looking for volunteers. How can they get in contact with you or your team? They can email us at africasmentalhealth at gmail.com. Okay. It's africamentalhealth at gmail.com. Africasmentalhealth at gmail.com. Okay. Yeah. There you go. With an S. With an S. So Africas. Yes. Okay. Okay. Oh yep. Good. Um, and also, so after this, what are you expecting? Uh, what can you expect folks who are watching or who will watch this again? Because we do have a huge platform on Instagram who this loads up on Instagram at 9 p.m. tonight. And so what do you want to get? What do you want them to get away from this? Um, you know, I think we can all do our part. Our organization really is built on unity. It's built on collaboration. We're not going into any African country to do this by ourselves. We understand the importance of partnership. We understand the importance of getting together with policymakers, advocates, um, influencers, stakeholders, young adults, anyone really interested in making a difference. And through that, we've been able to build a larger platform. I just want to encourage anyone listening or anyone that comes in contact with this platform to do their part as an individual, whether it's getting your mental health first aid, whether it's going, up, going the extra mile to ask someone how they really are, um, whether it's you just educating yourself on the importance of mental health and the different mental illnesses, whether it's you just being a good support um, to a, a good supporter or a good friend to your, you know, someone that is dealing with a mental illness. Whatever that looks like for you, let's just all do our part. Let's show love. Let's show compassion, and let's let's show support to the people that to everyone really, not even anyone in particular. Like we yeah. all need a mental health affects us all, and so going the extra mile to just be there for someone it, it goes a long way. 
And I really want to tell you thank you for this and for those who are watching. Um, this is uh, this was a segment um, with Vanessa Adebayo. She's with Africa Health Matters. We talked about mental health um, from its infancy up until when. We give your great tools in here that can help you out. But this month, the conversation is really focusing on mental health. So next week, for those who will be watching, we will have a therapist and we'll have somebody who has battled mental health through his life, and he's currently in his 30s right now, and he's just something that he's dealt with, and he will tell us about his challenges, um, how he overcame it, and how he was in the support system that was part of it. And it's funny because I was part of his support system. And so that would be that, and then we will go with somebody who's currently working on, which I'm trying, I'm gonna connect you with her. She's working on an organization to really support women who are affected with mental health. And so I think it would be a good, uh, uh, um, I will try to connect you guys and you guys. Have love and then at the end of the month, I have self-love coaches. So I have two people who are doing their own businesses in self-love. And they're really, because at the end of the day, when it comes to mental health, it's all your wholeness develops around self-love. And so I have these amazing women who will talk to us about self-love and give us tools and techniques to deal with self-love. And so this has been amazing. This was the conversation. I spoke in opinionated. I had my girlfriend Nessa giving us information. It was great. I enjoyed. And so, those who will be watching, we're done um, Thursday again next week, seven p.m. I said thank you for coming. We appreciate you, Vanessa. Thank and you. It was a great time. Thank you so much. Twenty twenty conference in December, and I promise yeah. you, I will be there. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Bye. Bye.